It's caused dissension, started wars, and divided peoples. Since the start of humanity, we have never known a world without it. Mankind has always felt the need to try and get right with God and turn to religion for the answers. But what if being right with God wasn't about practices and rituals? Join us for this exciting new series as we explore these questions. All right, good morning. Welcome to Grace Life. How are you guys doing? Everybody having fun? So good to be back with you guys. Had so many travels and things. Hope you've had a good time uh, and enjoyed the series we did for the last couple of weeks. But no popcorn on the way in. I had someone email me and thought that that would be a good idea for every service all the time. I, uh, sorry about that. No, no popcorn. We are kicking off a brand new series today that I think is going to impact every single one of us, every person in the room. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, religion. Sound like fun to you guys? See, I believe there is something that is stealing from us and and taking away from us the relationship with God that we're supposed to have, the one that He intended for us. And the the, the problem is that it's the very things we do to pursue Him are the things that are are keeping that from us. And so I want us to confront that. But you know, before you can confront anything, you've actually got to be able to see it for what it is and call it out for what it is. You know, there are so many movies where you'll watch the opening scene of a movie is like someone running from a police officer or, or someone chasing them or whatever. And, and so like a bank robber or something, and they run out of the bank and suddenly there's like a St. Patrick's Day parade and they blend in and everybody's wearing green. Or it's a Mardi Gras parade and they all suddenly all have on masks. Imagine that you want to confront someone about something and you decide you're going to do it at this party that you're going to tonight. But when you get to the party, it's a masquerade party. Every single person there looks exactly alike. They're all wearing these same masks. And so if you want to confront someone, you first are going to have to unmask them. You've got to know who it is and what it is that you're dealing with. And so we're going to do the same thing for religion. Uh, We've got a goal over these next four weeks. And very specifically, we're going to do something different each week. But today I want us just to unmask religion. I want us to see it for what it really is. And the impact that it has in our lives and what it's taking from us. And I know already just that far into my introduction of this thought, many of you are going, what? Like, this is church, man. Religion's a good thing, right? I mean, we're supposed to be religious people. I mean, it's like there are people who are not religious and like we're on the right side of that line, aren't we, Jimmy? Well, first of all, let me define religion. I think that'll help us all make a little bit more sense of what I'm talking about. You see, all throughout history, humanity has believed, at least the overwhelming large majority of humanity has believed that we're not at the top of the ladder. And I think people still do, the overwhelming majority of people. They, they know that there is something or someone that's greater. And, and whoever or whatever it is, most every culture and every way of thinking of it, they've labeled it with one three-letter word. God. And somehow... This thing or person that's greater than us, we've got to respond to, we've got to revere, and we've got to appease it. And so what we've done all throughout history is come up with different ideas of who and what this something or someone called God is like. And so man has come up with a, a bunch of different ways of how we can make that God happy with us. So my definition for this series, and I didn't write it, actually, it's a pretty common definition of religion, is any time that we try to trade our human effort for God's acceptance. Make sense? 
Whatever we try to do to trade our best effort for his acceptance, that's what we call religion. And you need to know this, it doesn't bring life. It actually brings a prison. And it, it, it's like a game that says, if I follow the rules exactly, he'll be happy with me. If, if I just play the game very, very well, I'll win the game. And winning the game is when God looks down at me and says, oh, you're my best game player. I, I'm happier with you than everybody else. And since we try to get so good at following the rules, we also have to get really good at hiding when we break the rules and hoping that no one was actually watching. Now, at this point, I know many of you are saying, oh, okay, well, that's good. You see, I don't have a problem with religion, but I know somebody who does. I'll bring them next week. I want to go ahead and suggest to you that we are them. Every single one of us has a problem with religion. If you don't think you do now, I hope you will figure it out by the end of the day today. But every single one of us gets into playing the game, following the rules, and missing the whole point. And so that's what we're, we're trying to do. Here's our goal for this series. I'm going to go ahead and tell it to you up front. I'm not going to try to sneak this in along the way. This is one of those times where I'm just going to lay all the cards on the table. Over the next four weeks, our goal as a family is to seek out and destroy any and all religious beliefs and behaviors that are destroying the life God intended for us to have so that we can discover and embrace the grace of God and the truth of the gospel. And so let me just go ahead and clarify. You know, if religion were a good thing, Jesus would have been the king of it, right? I mean, he would have embraced it. He would have said, hey, I'm here, people. Your hero's here. The, the king of your religion is here. But that's not what we see when we look at the Bible. Actually, we see story after story after story of Jesus confronting religious thinking, religious attitudes, religious behaviors, and religious people, and they hated him for it. Matter of fact, the hardest thing that I've had to do in preparing for this series is deciding how much of the Bible I'm not going to share with you on Sunday mornings. Because there is so much about Jesus confronting religion. And even in the Old Testament, there is so much about God saying, hello, people, you missed the point. You're trying to make a rule out of something that was never meant to be a rule. So I'm going to share with you just one example today. That's, that, that's all we're, we're going to take time to do. If you've got your Bibles, it's Mark chapter 7. If not, it's on the screen right behind my head. And it says, now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, and we're just going to pause right there for a second because we need to understand who we're talking about. I don't know if you've ever read the Bible or sat in church and realized there's a whole lot of different groups of people in there. We've got like Amorites and Jebusites and Canaanites and, and 40,000 kinds of ites in the Old Testament. And then you turn to the New Testament and you've got your scribes and your Sadducees and your Pharisees and your Israelites and your everything else. And you're kind of going, oh my gosh, if we ever come to church and there's a test on who these people are, I'm going to fail. So I want to help you out at least with these two groups of people, Pharisees and scribes. Okay, because they came together to confront Jesus. Here's what the scribes are. The scribes are the teachers of the law. They're the ones who decide what is right and wrong and if your effort is good enough or not. So for a modern day comparison, I want you to think of like the NFL. Okay, the scribes are the referees. They're the ones that come to you and go, nope, your toe was on the line. It doesn't count. Go try it again. Get up earlier. Read more Bible. Try harder. Oh, by the way, that food is off limits. Bacon, uh-uh, you can't do bacon. That's not, right? I mean, come on, you ever heard of them? Those are the scribes. They're the ones that decide exactly how everything works. 
Now, here's what's really funny. The scribes are in cahoots with the Pharisees. You want to know who the Pharisees are? They are the best team in the NFL. They're the ones who win every year and everybody hates them for it. And their attitude is, we're the best. We play this game better than anybody else. We follow the rules better than anybody else. We know, the, ask us the rules. We know all the rules. We know how many pounds of air should be in the balls. But <laughs> seeing if y'all are listening. So what happens is you get the best team or at least the team who thinks they're the best at following the rules, together with the referees working together to come and tell somebody else, who do you think you are? And it just so happens that somebody was Jesus. He had a pretty good answer for him. They saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. I don't know about you, but when I'm reading the Bible or, or any story, if I read anything and they said, and their hands were defiled, I would expect to turn around and see someone with their hands covered in blood and like a dagger and a dead body beside them, you know? Not just, oh yeah, they didn't wash them in the last three minutes with soap and antibacterial cleaner. <clears throat> you see, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the word of God? No, to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash because in the marketplace, they probably shook hands with somebody and they gave money and they took home food. And there are many other traditions, <clears throat> sorry, that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels, even the dining couches. You see, the idea was actually good. It was God's idea. I want you to be clean, pure, holy. And they came up with how to do it, right? They're the referees. All right, here's the rule. Got to be clean. Okay. All right, if I'm going to be clean inside, then that just means everything that comes inside has got to be clean. So the food's got to be clean, and the food will be clean if I wash my hands, and my hands are clean, and even if the couch is clean, because, you know, if I sit down and touch the table and the table's dirty, I mean, y'all ever been to one of those restaurants where you sit down, you kind of have to adjust the table, and then you regret touching the underside of that table? Y'all know what I mean? They didn't have this problem because they washed it all every single time. But they thought that they were a clean person inside and everything about them was good as long as they went through that little process. Well, if my hands are clean and the food is clean and the couch is clean, then I'm clean. And Jesus says, you guys have just so missed the point. It has nothing to do with what you're like on the inside. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders but eat with defiled hands and he said to them well did isaiah say of you or prophesy of you hypocrites well well that's kind of a statement there isn't it as it is written this people honors me with their lips but their heart is far from me in vain do they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men you leave the commandment of god and you hold to the tradition of men you see i grew up in the south I grew up in a southern Christian home. And so unfortunately, there are times where I don't know if it's more southern or more Christian. And if anybody grew up, well, you know what I'm talking about. And, you see, I was told some doctrines that I thought were from God, but it turns out that, that my, the people who taught me this had simply taken some traditions of southern men and told me that was the doctrine of God. Here's an example. When I was growing up, the church that I went to never told you that you needed to pray and receive Jesus as your king. There was never an invitation at the end of the service. I didn't know that. I didn't hear it from them. <clears throat> I didn't hear it from anybody in my family. What I heard was, no joke, make sure that you go to church every week. 
Make sure that your hair doesn't get long enough to touch your collar and make sure you don't get a tattoo. You're going to heaven. You want to talk about taking the ideas of men and turning them into a doctrine? That's what I grew up with. And so here are the two things that the Pharisees, they've lumped them all together. The very core of religion are the two things they just did. Did you see what we underlined? Number one is they focus on action rather than the condition of the heart. I mean, come on, we live there, don't we? We look at somebody else and we judge them. How dare they do that? I'm just going to go ahead and help you. Anytime one of your sentences start with, (gasps) religion is about to come out of your mouth. Because you deal with whatever you are appalled that that person just did. We'll get to that over the series. Second thing they did is to teach and follow rules that impress men, thinking they're impressing God, but it's not working. That's the core of religion. When you, when you try to behave right, not dealing with what's going on side, and when you think other people are impressed with you, so therefore God is too, and God is not. And Jesus goes on to actually give an example, an indictment, actually, if I could change He said to them, actually, you have a fine way of teaching, I'm sorry, of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. You see, for Moses said, remember, Moses told them what God had said for them. So he's he's trying to say, this is what God's idea was. Honor your father and your mother and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. Any parents in the room? Come on, this is your moment to elbow those kids and say, see, lucky you're alive today. You should be glad I didn't kill you last night because... You didn't say thank you for dinner. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin. Let me help you out here too. What does that mean? Here's the idea. The Jewish culture lived together as families and and they stayed together in multiple, multiple generations. And so the idea was that the parents took care of the kids until the kids became the parents. And took care of the parents as they got older. And that's the way that multi-generational families in other parts of the world still live today. And so you just knew that as you grew up, you were going to take care of your family that had taken care of you. And so that was part of what they would have expected. Honor your mother and honor your father. Well, the problem is you may not like mommy and daddy very much. And they might live for a while. And that might take a lot of your money. And then over here, we've got the temple... And the folks at the temple saying, you know what? I'd really like a new building. I think we can come up with an idea. I got an idea. You tell people that whatever they're supposed to give to their parents, they can come and dedicate to the temple. And then they just tell their parents, sorry, it's gone. I gave it to God. And you're free. Now think about a building campaign. That'll work, don't you think? And so they would go to their parents and say, well, you know, I realize I just bought this new house. Three new camels. Going on vacation. But the money that I'd set aside for you, I've dedicated to God. You'll have to take care of yourself, mommy. Shouldn't have grounded me when I was 12. That's exactly what they're doing. And Jesus says, who who do you think you are to take the heart of God and to come up with some rule that exempts people from honoring God? He goes as far as to actually say this then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his money, for his mother, thus making void the word of God. You've made void the word of God by your tradition, coming up with rules 
So here's the very question we have to ask ourselves. Where am I following the rules and missing the heart? I know at this point you're all like, I don't know, ask that guy beside me. No, no, no. Okay, so again, I grew up in a Southern Christian home. And I remember one of the first encounters I ever had with discovering how religious I was. And I, it was a, a friend of mine, and, and I went over to her house one Saturday. We were in high school, and uh, she was from New Jersey and had been living in Europe. Her family was successful in business, and so she's kind of from a different world. Now, they were Christians. And so we're over at her house on Saturday and working with her mom and, and her siblings or whatever, and we're talking about doing a flower garden or whatever in her yard. And she said, oh, well, that's okay. My dad will do that part tomorrow. And I remember standing there going, your dad's going to do what in the garden on Sunday? I mean, I'm not kidding you. Those words like came out of my mouth. But, I mean, not, not my fault. I, I grew up here in the South, and that's the way I was raised, right? I mean, how many of you were raised in a, a Southern sa- Sabbath home where you didn't do anything on the Sabbath, right? Sunday, you didn't do anything. I had fried chicken every single Sunday of my life, and my mom felt guilty that it was hot. She would always cook fried chicken. And my dad would talk about the stories of when he was being raised where his mom didn't even cook it on Sunday. You had to cook the food on Saturday because you didn't want to defile the Sabbath by cooking on Sunday. And the good news was that grandma never had to clean the kitchen until Monday. The bad news was your food was always room temperature. Anybody else grow up with a family traditionally? Do y'all know about it? Yeah. And so that's actually kind of the way. I, I couldn't believe that her dad was going to plant flour. That's dirt. You're touching dirt and a shovel, even if it's only a big dish. Like, it's not a big shovel, you know? I mean, on a Sunday. And she looked at me and said, I don't understand. What's better way to honor God with a Sunday than to plant flowers like he created or to watch football all day? I didn't have an answer for that. I was like 15. I didn't know where to go with that one. What do you do with that? We recently took a team to Israel and you know, Israelis, of course, Jews, are obviously really good at doing this whole honor the Sabbath thing, the Ten Commandments. I mean, it's part of their constitution. They've got this thing figured out. And so we were over there, and for them, their Sabbath starts on Friday night at sundown and goes to Saturday night on sundown. And let me just tell you, being a tourist in a country where nobody does anything for 24 hours is really hard. Because you want to go to a restaurant, but they don't have one open. You want to take a taxi, but they won't have any operating. Crazy reason. You see, for them, you can't light a fire on the Sabbath. And they know that when you put a key in the ignition and turn the switch, that inside the engine is a fire that starts it. They won't drive a car. Are you kidding me? They won't drive a car. They won't open their restaurants because they can't. Most of them won't even turn on a light switch because they know that that's a spark. They will be in the dark for 24 hours straight. And you think, here's what's crazy. Four out of five people in that nation don't believe in God. You want to talk about religion is when people will follow a rule to honor someone they don't think exists. 80% of people honor the Sabbath and yet don't believe in God in that nation. How about you and me? We come to church every week. Y'all didn't think I was going to let you off this, right? If we're going to pick on people around the world, we're going to pick on ourselves. Every week we come to church and I'm going to be the bearer of bad news and let you know you are following a mere rule. Unless you understand why we're here. You see, we're here to exalt God. 
and to become more like him. And so unless you pause somewhere on your way here, it might be walking out the door, might even be as early as when you're, you're getting dressed, it might be as late as right before you cross into that door, or it might be as late as the first song or something. At some point, you have to stop and say, God, what do you want to say to me today? What do you want to do in my life today? How do you want to make me more like you because I'm here? And when you walk out this room, you've got to have an answer. And if you don't, well, then welcome to your religious practice. Because this is about life change. Now, look, don't feel bad. I'll include myself. I don't think any one of us can say 52 weeks a year. Yep, I nail it. No. Unfortunately, sometimes we're not always there. Here's what I know. Religion is a counterfeit of the true gospel. Religion is a counterfeit of the true gospel. And I want to give you some comparisons to help you understand. I'm just going to read through a list. It's a list a pastor friend of mine started and I added to and tweaked and, and some things. But before I read the list, I want you to understand, don't just sit there for entertainment at this point. This is the moment where I want the Holy Spirit to touch us. So I want you to invite the Holy Spirit to poke you when I read one that is you. I want you to invite God to give you an aha moment when you go, oops, that's me. Oh yeah, I struggle with that. I mean, if we aren't willing to unmask religion, the next three weeks of this series isn't going to help. You, you're going to have to figure out, yeah, yeah, I need some help there. Religion says earn. The gospel says receive. Religion is the result of legalism. The gospel is the result of grace. Religion says do. The gospel says already done. Think about all the things that you do. Think about all the sermons you've heard telling you all the things you should do. You do realize there's not one single thing that you can add to Jesus Christ on the cross. Do you ever think about how many things you try to do that you think will make God happier with you than what you already do? I mean, we do it, right? Come on, don't, don't act holy. There's not a person in the room that doesn't do this sometimes. And you think, yeah, I read an extra chapter in my Bible today. I think God's a little happier with me. Because, you know, Jesus died on the cross, only did this much, and then I read my Bible. I'm glad we can laugh at ourselves. Religion says, I'm not good enough. And the gospel says, true, but he is. Religion says, I came to church. The gospel says, I met with my father. Religion says, your good works will get you closer to God. The gospel says, his good work gets me closer to God. Religion says, I ought to and I should do. The gospel says, I am so grateful to and I want to. Religion produces rule following. The gospel produces gratitude. Religion has rituals. The gospel has worship. Religion separates from culture. 
the gospel reaches out to culture. Part four of the series is going to talk only about how our religion impacts the people around us. Religion says, conform to us. The gospel says, conform to him. Religion isolates. The gospel invites. Religion makes you feel inferior and condemned. The gospel makes you feel loved and accepted. I know as I read this list, you're going, I can fake that one, I can fake that one, I can fake that one, I can fake that one. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. good." But you can't fake how you feel. You may not be honest with anybody else about how you feel, but here's the question, and this will tell you where you live. Do you live in religion or do you live in the gospel? When you wake up on Monday morning, do you think, man, the creator of the universe The only one true living God, the great name above all names, is smiling down upon me. I'm going to conquer the world today. Or do you think, well, let me see if I can do enough things right today to make sure he doesn't strike me with lightning. You may fake it, but at some point you've got to be honest with yourself. Religion points to me. The gospel points to others. Religion focuses on the practice. The gospel focuses on the heart. Religion makes the method sacred. The gospel questions all methods. You want to talk about encountering religion? Try pastoring a church. We used to sing songs for 45 minutes. And apparently five or six songs was sacred. Because when I cut out a couple of songs, which made some people who don't like singing very happy, I got a lot of emails from people telling me how sacrilegious our church just became. How I had invited Satan into our worship practices because I wasn't giving God enough glory. That, that, that all of a sudden, I had totally changed. And, and all I know at that point is I had a list of everybody who didn't worship enough on their own. Because all they got was what we gave them, and we suddenly weren't giving them as much, and they were just as mad as could be. And these practices go all the time. We'll have people who come in the door and can't believe there's a drum set on stage. Really, that's not very common anymore, but that was a big deal back in the 60s and 70s and 80s because we all know that organs are sacred and God likes them better. And when people stopped using organs and started using pianos and guitars and drum sets, there are generations of folks who just, I cannot believe. Because we make the practice sacred. And you think, oh, no, I'm good with drums. I'm good, Jimmy, move on. No, 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 let me tell you what. (laughs) You're good with your sacred drums, but you're not good with something else. It wasn't, but a couple of months ago, a friend of mine from another church That's scary enough. I mean, this would have been okay, but this is somebody who's an influential part of another church somewhere else was visiting our church on some travels. And it just so happened that was one of the Sundays that we had our global outreach director, Chris, he's the guy that speaks over communion. He he rapped on stage along with a song, like we had a part of the song where y'all been around for some of that. We've done that on occasion. And so I asked this guy later at lunch, hey, what'd you think of the service? He's like, well, you know, it's kind of all right. I I really felt worship was a little insulting to God, a little sacrilegious. That, that rap thing just probably doesn't belong in church. 
Turns out he's okay with the country style and the rock and roll style. He's not good with the rap style. And at that point, I began to question if his racism was his religion. Religion defends and protects itself. The gospel defends and protects us. Religion operates out of a judgmental heart and a critical spirit. The gospel operates out of a loving heart and a humble spirit. Religion says that an outward conformity to rules will determine your spirituality. But the gospel says an inward pursuit of God reveals my spirituality. Religion has me at the center. The gospel has God at the center. Religion sees your past. The gospel sees your future. Religion says impress God. And the gospel says honor God. Now look, I'd love to tell you all at this point, good thing for you and me that we all chose the right one. We've all got the gospel and we're good. But the truth of it is, every single one of us deals with something I just read. Every single one of us tries to add a button or a badge to what Jesus did on the cross. Every single one of us thinks that we can make God happier with us, like us more. You know what we've done? We've turned the gospel into the world's most profitable and well-known religion. So who here today is tired of that? Who here today is tired of feeling like no matter how many times you go to church and how many chapters you read in your Bible, that you just still don't feel good enough? You don't feel clean enough. You don't feel close enough to God. And you think to yourself, okay, finally, I'll break down and read Leviticus. I've been doing everything else, but I've been skipping Leviticus and I thought God wouldn't care. But nothing seems to make me feel good enough. I'll read Leviticus and that'll work. Really? How about this? Let me, let me share one passage with you in closing. It's out of Colossians. Let no one pass judgment on you in question of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Why? As if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting what? Self-made religion. Dress up for this, look good for that. Carry a big, thick study Bible. You look more spiritual with a thicker Bible. Leave it on the dash. You look spiritual all week long. <laughs> I've never understood that one. Go to church. Volunteer. Write checks. Do all of the right things. Because people who are looking for those things will look at you and say, you are one of the good ones. You are one of the winning teams. They suddenly became one of the, the referees. But God sits in heaven and goes, what about this? What about this? These 
have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You see, religion will never make you feel good enough, clean enough, or close enough, no matter how many times you do it. It's actually a lie from the enemy that gets you focused on you and what you do that keeps you from achieving that very thing. So, who's tired? Who's done? Playing the game. You say, you know what? I've even won the game. Are you tired? I've followed the rules better than anybody. And there are days I still wonder if God's happy with me. I've done the best. I'm here every week, Jimmy. I was here when you were on vacation. I got you beat. I've been to church this year more than you. Somehow, I bet God still likes you better than me. I bet God likes those people over there better than me. I don't know, because you know, I just don't think I'm good enough. I'm going to end the service differently today. If you've been to Grace Life any other week prior to today, you know that at this point, I always stop and invite people who have never made Jesus their king to do that very thing. But what I actually do is help some of you draw a line of religion. This is, oh, I said a prayer a few years back. I'm good. I'm on the other side of the line. I can ignore you now. I'm going to start gathering up my things and thinking about what I'm getting at Moe's in just a few minutes. I'm not going to do that today. Instead, I'm going to pray for everybody who's tired. Everybody who's done playing a game. I will talk later in the series about why doing some of the things we do are still good to do. But you've got to come to a place where you realize there is nothing you can do or should do that will make you more right with God. It's not a game. I want us to quit playing the game. I want us to confront religion for what it is. So if you'd like to join me, let me pray for you. Lord God, we thank you that your son did not die to be a religion. But he died to set us free. Today we ask you to continue to show us and to reveal to us the things that we've done to turn the death of Jesus into a bunch of spiritual practices. I pray today that you will touch every person in this room and you will bring freedom. That you will set us free from the idea that we can earn something with you. That we can appease you. That we can follow rules in a certain way. I pray that you'll destroy the game of religion and its effects in our lives. I pray that you would remove the condemnation that many people in this room live under of thinking that you like the person beside them better. I pray that you will destroy the lies of the enemy that say you don't play the game well enough. Don't ask God for that. He won't answer you because you don't play the game well enough. Don't even try to talk to God because he's so upset with you. You don't play the game well enough. I pray you will destroy the lies that the enemy speaks to us.
I pray that you will heal hearts, that you will heal souls, that you will bring freedom into our thinking and into our actions, that we will pursue you with all our might, but we will reject religion with everything we have. And I pray for those who may be talking to you for the first time. For the first time, they may be realizing that going to church is not the answer. It's about knowing you personally. I pray that you reveal yourself to them. And if you're one of those people for the first time saying, whoa, I've never heard this kind of stuff. I've, I've never understood. I thought it was just go to church and try to be good. I encourage you just to say these simple words. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for me because I'll never be good Thank you. Amen. Amen. If you were someone who today, that prayer was different for you. You've never really had a conversation with God. You didn't understand that it's not about religion. It's not about how many times you go to church. That it is simply about the fact that Jesus... 2,000 years ago, hung on a cross, looked through the corridors of time to 2016 and said, I died for you. I died for you. And at some point in time, you have to look back at him and say, then I will live for you. And if you just prayed with me, we want to help you as you begin your journey of following Jesus. So somewhere on the back of the row in front of you, there's a blue connection card. If you would take just a moment, fill that out and indicate what God is doing in your life today. Take that blue card to someone in a blue shirt at the blue tent. They'll give you a Bible, pray with you, celebrate with you, whatever they can do to help you. And I want to challenge some of you that have probably been to church in this room hundreds of times. And until today, you thought you were good just because of the hundreds of times that you've been here. And you've always thought, ah, I don't need to fill out one of those cards. I don't need to tell anybody that anything's going on. I'm, I'm good. I think there are some people here today for the first time realizing you weren't good, and now you are. Share that. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.